You're listening to an EG Property Podcast special on ESG. I'm Tim Burke, EG's Deputy Editor. You're about to hear a panel discussion from our latest breakfast briefing, tackling the ESG skills gap. What kind of talent and training does real estate's workforce need as the ESG agenda evolves? And can it remain the remit of just one individual or a team, or must the tools and talent become a part of every area of business? To explore those questions, I was joined by Amon Pritt Arnold, Senior Policy Officer at the Greater London Authority, Janine Cole, Sustainability and Social Impact Director at GPE, Andy Mercer, Head of ESG at Colliers, Chris Davies, Chief Executive of the Flexible Workspace Provider Uncommon, and Adam Smith, Climate Change Program Lead at the Better Buildings Partnership. Adam, if we could kick off with, with some thoughts from you. So from the Better Buildings Partnership, you're looking out industry-wide. Um, where do you sense the biggest gaps in terms of ESG skill sets uh, across the industry? Where are they most apparent? And I'm assuming it is gaps as in plural rather than any singular one. What stands out to you at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with that. I mean, we, we see it manifesting in the sort of technical community and the fact that there's you know, an undersupply of, you know, things like heat pump installers and solar panel installers, and that's been particularly pertinent in the news recently with pe more people trying to get panels in their homes. I think in looking at our membership specifically, I think the areas where it's most uh, relevant, I mean, it's driven by the fact that regulation seems to move much more quickly than, um, than recruitment or reskilling can. So there's a kind of issue with trying to keep up with quite a fast-moving ESG agenda. Um, you know, we've seen it ourselves in developing our training course. There's a, an EU social taxonomy proposed, and then suddenly that gets kind of taken away. So I think that's the challenge that's kind of driving the, the skills, skills shortage. And I think to Andy's point as well, um, there's definitely a need for us to move from a, a kind of small group of practitioners to it being integrated across a whole business. That's really going to be necessary to drive the change that we need. So I think the skills gap kind of emerges where specific technologies and processes are needed but also I think it's just a general realization that um, it's not just something where a small group of people in a business can can do themselves they need their colleagues who work in capital markets investment advisory leasing and transactions they need all of these people to understand ESG to be able to do, do things properly so that that sounds like it must be a real challenge to to spread that through a company. I mean, on our last panel, Stephanie was, was talking about the idea of sustainability champions, and there are always going to be people who, um, who I guess, own this as a topic very clearly. But to your point that you want it to be something on the radar and within the skill set of everyone within a company, I mean, Janine, when you're talking about a PLC like GPE, um, that's that's much easier said than done, right, in terms of ensuring that those skills are transferred right throughout the business. Yeah, I mean, I think um, it's about making people understand um, how it relates to their day job, um, to an extent what's in it for them as well. Um, and one of the things that, um, to sort of pick on, a, on an example um, that I was sharing earlier, actually, um, our development team, what we did with them is we gave them research projects to actually go out themselves and understand more about sort of the issues around timber, the issues around um, supply chain, issues around responsible steel, um, concrete, um, sustainable facades, working out embodied carbon of facades, 
And so what the team did was they actually went out themselves to do some um, research and came back, and that was sort of a couple of years ago. What that's meant is that they feel part of the, part of the journey, to coin a phrase, but also they, they feel like um, they've got something real to add to the agenda. And what that's led to um, is that, you know, um, our own team, without any involvement from me, has worked out how to um, remove some steel from a development we're currently demolishing. Um, it's going to go into a warehouse and we're going to be using it on another development within our portfolio within a few years' time. And that came directly from the development team. That wasn't me banging the drum on circular economy. They'd gone out and find, found it for themselves and, and they've driven it. Um, but I think it's also the other thing that we need to remember is that it's about um, helping the understanding of various different professions with the, within the industry. I was sat in a meeting yesterday and the conversation was very much that sort of graduates coming out of university want to be involved in a new build. It's, it's a sort of something that they will feel is really important to them because they feel it's more prestigious. Um, and so there's a whole re-education process that needs to happen. Um, and the other thing that they were talking about as well was the different skills needed to refurbish a building than to do a new build. Um, refurbishing can often be more difficult, particularly in London, where you've got tighter sites. So, it's ha it's, so there's the fabulous work that we're doing at Better Buildings Partnership and that Adam's lead leading in that kind of more, if you like, academic side of um, sustainability and understanding what it means to investment, etc. But there's also that much more practical element we need to dig into. As, as that re-education process happens and as your teams take more ownership, are they coming to you with questions about you know, the, kind of, um, the kind of schemes that the, the BBP can offer? Far more difficult questions than they've ever been asking me before. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I, th I think that um, whereas before it was sort of the, um, the view that the sustainability team were the ones who had to have all the answers on this, that's very much not the case now. Um, and actually, instead, people are coming to us with a suggestion about, we'd really like to do this. Do you think it works? Um, and I think that, you know, that, that has shifted with, within the business. Chris, what kind of shifts have you seen? You, you were talking when we spoke before this panel about um, a kind of minefield of information that, that you're, now, um, you're now dealing with in terms of ESG. You were saying, you know, your baristas um, serving people coffee in co-working space. They, they might be expected to be asked questions by your customers about... Um, about the company's environmental credentials and its, and its ESG agenda, you know, in the same way that you as, um, you as the company leader might be? Yeah, no, it's been a, um, I guess, back to the last point, like for us, we've had to get everyone in the company on the journey. And I think at last count, like 80% of the team members had some sort of role within our kind of ESG strategy. And that's the way you really do permeate it all the way through. But then the bit, to your point that we've seen is that I'm having people coming up saying, so our members saying, can you please provide me X, Y, and Z information because we are going after carbon something or other they're doing or something this. It, it depends and they're all going down different routes. And it's kind of, we're then having to, as the kind of operator of the space and make sure we've got all of the information to provide them with or we take steps ourselves so that we actually just give them back a certificate for or whatever it might be. Um, so it's fascinating seeing that conversation be picked up far more now by members um, and that's only going to increase and that's why for us it, trying to lead the market in our little tiny subsector of the market um, it's kind of very much can be a kind of an area that we can really excel in and 
then we think that we're going to attract more members because they're going to want to be in that type of space. So it's, um, it's fascinating starting to see the fact that it's happening daily now, where people are coming asking questions, and it might be to the barista, it might be to anyone in the company, rather than how it might have been, I don't know, a year ago, it might have been we might get a question a month. So that kind of snowball effect's definitely happening. And it's, it is the good thing that I get to see is that it's not just in the property sector because our members are from every single sector out there. So it's kind of interesting watching who's asking different types of questions. It might be the tech companies versus someone other, other startups. Um, Amanpreet, I, I wonder if you can tell us a little more about some of the initiatives that the mayor and the GLA um, have underway here. Uh, you, you touched on some schemes that are clearly having a real impact. Um, and you mentioned... Uh, that push to bring through a new generation, um, presumably in, in many cases working within the built environment, uh, to, to push this agenda forward? Um, yes, so the mayor, with respect to the infrastructure sector, set out four pledges, and one of them was to reach every primary school in three years. But then we started to work with the um, social integration team together because obviously they have aimed to try and tackle those who are most disadvantaged from the workforce, and that tends to be black men. So we kind of like worked together, because they wanted to reach primary schools, we wanted to reach primary schools, and obviously the mayor had a big EDI strategy as well, um, to make sure the workforce reflects London diversity as well. So part of that was to kind of um, explore how to do that, and it, it's not just about, you know, advertising, oh, we've got to call outreach for all of these companies, because that's, to me, a very easy way to go, and it's usually the schools that have the most time and resources that will learn more about your industry and will get your company involved. It's about going that extra mile to try and find those schools who don't have the time, who don't have the resources, who come from really challenging backgrounds, and not even aware of our sector at all because of their networks or understanding. And um, infrastructure, obviously, when we're talking about the built environment, what I've learned is it's usually above the ground, whereas infrastructure is usually what's below. And it's making people think, where does your water come from? Where does your heating come from? Where does your electricity come from? And how that all functions and makes the city work, as well as seeing disruption on the road. Oh, why is that? It's because you're maintaining and developing the infrastructure in the city. So we ran out to the 25 major infrastructure organisations that have committed to these pledges and um, have decided to do a primary school outreach called Building, Building Future London. And that is targeting 30 schools, specifically with the criteria it had to have high black pupil population. And we're getting like, lots of underrepresented volunteers um, and that could be anything. It doesn't necessarily have to be ethnic minority. It could be a woman, because it's like 12% of women in the industry to try and promote that bit more. To go into these schools, and obviously children care about sustainability, they care about net zero, they care about climate change, but they don't know anything about our sector. So we're trying to get all of these um, underrepresented models to go into these schools and to inspire people. And the thing is, it's really early on, it's not secondary school, and it's part of good governance, because we talked a lot about E, we talked a lot about S, but we haven't said anything about governance. So I think it's kind of linked to good governance in the future as well. Um, Andy, you were, you were talking about um, that idea of moving from, moving from individuals who look at this to, to embedding... Um, 
to embedding ESG across the organization. How, how do you see what you're trying to do within, um, within the firm as it relates to what your clients, uh, how your clients are, are tackling this? Because you and colleagues are, are, of course, responding to shifts within your, your customers' businesses as well. Yeah. Is this, are you seeing a similar change happen across the industry? Um, yes, so, so a lot of, um, I think historically, the um, traditional ESG group would be those that are advocating and, and championing doing things different. The interesting thing now is that because clients are now increasingly interested in this and, and clients that are typically investors, mm. that, that, is, that, that is changing the dynamic slightly in the sense that the, what was traditionally a, a push of information is now being pulled. So, so there's more interest in learning more about ESG because clients are asking for it. Um, so I think... That slight change in dynamic has, has, has changed the way we operate and, in a sense, opened the doors to, um, for our colleagues to be able to, to, or, or to have an interest in these areas. Um, now, how we sort of tackle that is a mixture of between, um, uh, I guess, demonstrating how things can be done differently. So, so you know, how do, how do valuations value a building today versus what, what that might be in 10, 15 years' time? So moving from traditional valuations to more strategic valuations with a greater array of data points. So what are those data points? What are the things that are material to those, to those, um, to those valuations? So, so I guess looking at trying to broaden out the, um, the interpretation of the market, which I guess is to your point, is what, what clients are looking for as well. Uh, they want their investments to uh, have value today as well as in 25 years. Um, and so we need to provide as best we can the, the best assessment of the market as it, as it stands today. Um, and bearing in mind things around legislation, compliance, governance, um, these, these things which the route into an organization might be through the specialist group, but then it's the promotion of that within the organization that's key. Yeah. That idea of investors, um, investors' line of questioning changing. I mean, Janine, Chris, are, are you seeing investors within your businesses come to you with different questions than, than they might have even a short number of years ago? And how's, how's that changing what you need to have within the business to be able to answer them? Yeah, they, I mean, I think the last two years, or last three years, um, the questions have become exponentially um, more, more difficult and more frequent. Um, and I think they're sort of, you know, and actually more granular. Um, that's the other thing that we're finding as well. So um, investors want much more granular information about how much, how much energy our buildings are consuming, um, the amount of renewable energy that's being consumed on, and with, um, from our buildings and from across our portfolio. Um, it very much depends upon the investor as to how far they go. Some of them are asking us about social impact. Some are not quite there yet. Um, so, and so, and the, other, the other issue that we have is that um, we respond to something like six or seven different investor indices a year. Um, but each one of our investors now increasingly is providing us with a different question set to answer, despite the fact that we do the investor indices. So actually, the amount of time we spend responding to investor queries on ESG um, has, is, it has absolutely skyrocketed over the last, last couple of years. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's, I think it's funds themselves won't be able to raise money unless they are getting and making these certain commitments. And... That's where it's kind of interesting. Is again, it comes down to the question of well, what is the right way to be going for them? Are they making commitments that all of their buildings are Briam, for example, or are they making um, EPC commitments, whatever that might be? Um, but they're not going to raise funds, therefore, it's not going to flow into various 
developments or companies unless they're making that commitment. So it, it, is, it is being dragged there, definitely. Yeah. Um, any questions from the floor? I don't think we've got anything on Slido yet, but if someone would like a roving mic, got a couple over on this side. Hi, Dr. Sophie Taysom from Care Consulting. Just wanted to ask about uh, the skills gap at board level, because at the moment I'm still not seeing a huge amount in terms of like NED roles with anything around sustainability, whether that be kind of technical sustainability skills or that much broader skill set around ESG. And if there is a gap, um, how do we address it and what do boards need to be thinking about and potentially recruiting for? Who'd like to start? Well, I'm happy to respond on that. One of the other programmes that we're leading on, which is like the uh, third pledge for the mayor and the sector, is um, to facilitate reverse mentoring but within organisations. But we're taking it step further to do cross-sector reverse mentoring because what you're seeing is, yes, you're doing so much to try and attract these individuals into the sector, but you're not doing enough to be inclusive. Therefore, you need to identify why are they leaving the sector? And part of that, understanding at board level is to be mentored by junior mentors to explain to them what are the barriers they're facing, why are they leaving the sector, and you're losing those skills and they're going to a different sector. So that's one aspect of the programme that we're doing this year. There's, there's also a programme, Chapter Zero. I don't know whether you've come across that. Um, what Chapter Zero are doing is um, working with boards to help them map where their ESG skills are, because sometimes, um, uh, so to, to, to give an example, one of our non-exec directors is Alison Rose, Chief Exec of NatWest. Now, does she have technical ESG qualifications? Not so much, but she has a huge amount of knowledge on ESG from what she's doing through, um, through NatWest. So, um, and, and, and similarly, some of our other non-executive directors as well, you'd put in that same sort of area. So what Chapter Zero are doing is working with some of the boards to actually help map those skills. Um, and I think that... But you're, you're right, there is a gap. Um, and, and I think the other thing that the NED recruitment agencies will probably be saying is that they're seeing more and more demand for people to go onto boards as um, NEDs with ESG um, qualifications. So I think it's very much a sort of moving, moving picture at the moment. I think we had another question then over, over on this side. Thank you. Um, hi, it's Delia from Gerald Eves Surveyors. Um, Andy, you were talking about embedding sustainability in all the different service lines. Just wondering how you're going about doing that? Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a mix, I guess, of um, formal, formalised training, so effectively putting together training packages directed towards um, subject matter experts, whether that's valuations, um, uh, cap markets, etc. Uh, but also an awful lot of osmosis. You know, the, the more the organisation talks about these things, the more people express an interest and look into these things, the more that osmosis permeates through the building. So I think it's a mixture of uh, training with intent, but also having an organisation that is bought into this. And, and if it's bought into this at leadership level, it, it percolates through, through the organisation. Adam, how, um, how are the courses and the training that the, the Better Buildings Partnership offer evolving? I, mean, I know there was, a, there was sort of a shift to, to bring asset managers um, into this as well. How have you, how have you evolved that, that offering over, the, over time? Yeah, I mean, so the, the original course um, tailored to kind of asset fund and portfolio manager type roles um, 
that was last year. We expanded the course this year to advisors, so leasing and transactions, capital markets, investment advisory, um, valuation as well. Um, I mean, it, it's such a fast-moving um, topic that we're constantly reviewing the materials to make sure they're up to date. Um, as I mentioned earlier, there's constant examples of bits of policy or kind of best practice guidance which moves forward all the time. So that's definitely a real challenge for us in keeping the course relevant. Um, we're also finding that as ESG starts to mature and broaden out as a, as a topic, and you start to get these topics that become particularly gnarly or particularly complicated, so things like what does net zero carbon mean, um, things like social value and impact, we're uh, in the process of developing a set of kind of follow-on modules that really dive into those topics in a bit more detail. Um, and actually, I, I did want to um, follow up on something that, that Andy said, which I thought was, was great, was, um, uh, I mean, the whole, the course is really built on the principle of peer-to-peer -peer learning. And we definitely see huge value in bringing together people from across those different roles in the business. Um, it's not just about one-way traffic from a, a teacher or a tutor to the people who are the sort of intended audience. You also want those people to then have conversations with their colleagues um, and even between businesses as well. And the BBP obviously acts as a forum for that. But I think um, that's really how we accelerate addressing the, the skills gap is by just having more people talk to each other. Because it can be so interesting to hear how you know, an ESG issue, which you might see as a complete no-brainer, we need to do this, we need to do that, to actually talk to someone and realise the barriers that they face in their role and actually implementing that in practice can be really eye-opening. And actually, one of the first things I did on joining the BUP was actually to go through the course myself and in the kind of breakout sessions, talking to those in kind of um, different teams, you know, asset management teams, investment decision-making. Um, it was really interesting to learn how uh, difficult sometimes it can be in practice to do things that seem really straightforward. So I think that could be quite useful for us in actually connecting a bit better with our colleagues as well. Um, and um, yeah, I suppose actually going back to your question, uh, I think going forward, I think um, it may be that we look to specialise a bit more in particular roles. Um, so, you know, you take a, a, an, a, an ecosystem like advisors, that's actually quite a diverse kind of group of people. So we might want to actually look in a bit more detail at the specifics of each of, of the, um, the roles that sit within that group yeah. as well. And, and without wanting to, to, to put a big advert up for the courses, but um, it, uh, how, how does it work on a practical level if there are people in the room today who are thinking, well, what, what time and resources do I need to carve out? How does, how does what you're offering um, sort of work in practice alongside you know, the day job that everyone here is, uh, is doing as well? Yeah, I'll try not to make it too much of a hard sell, <laughs> but it's a, it's a, it's a two-half-day course. Okay. Um, it's delivered virtually, and um, yeah, it kind of um, brings together in the first half looking at the ESG context and the sort of drivers in the market, and then secondly, looking at the, the practical implementation. Um, in the interest of balance, I would say that there are, um, there are other ways, ways to get kind of ESG skills and training. I think there's some fantastic offerings from uh, organizations like the CFA, um, uh, the Cambridge Institute for Sustainability Leadership. I've done one of their courses myself as well. So there's lots out there. Um, and um, yeah, it can be a fantastic way to uh, to really give yourself a, a kind of a, a specialism within your business as well. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of how we deliver our course. But, um, yeah, there, there are other options. I've, I've done the course, and uh, I, would, I would recommend it. It's good. Excellent. Yeah, good good yeah. testimony. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've, got about, we've got about five minutes left. Um, I don't know if we had any other questions uh, from anyone on the floor. I think not, and I think Slido was clear. Um, I was... I was going to ask, um, I, I thought maybe an optimistic note to end on. We've, um, we've talked about encouraging um, 
a new generation up and into the, the real estate industry. And um, I love the idea of focusing on uh, younger and younger entry points. So secondary schools may be too late, primary schools might be where you need to head. And I ask, as the, um, as the father of two boys who I think would still both say they want to be professional YouTubers um, <laughs> when they grow up, but um, I wonder if we've got some, some sort of optimistic thoughts here on how to sell, um, how to sell this fantastic industry. To, um, to a very young but potential next generation of, um, of real estate professionals? Um, I would say one thing is the vocabulary that we use. You need to kind of like, it's very easy for us to talk to an audience like you, but try talking to an audience of nine, ten year old is completely different and it's quite difficult to explain your job and make it sound really exciting and interesting. And some of them don't really get it. So, that's been quite interesting. And the other thing is to connect them with people that look like them as well, because that is quite key. Um, and obviously linking it to the whole net zero, the future, how it looks, that can inspire them as well. Mm. Yeah. Any other words of, uh, I mean, words I of encouragement? I can't talk anything about children level uh, to all of that side of it. So I'll go older. I just think it's a, an amazing opportunity so, like, even the people wanting to get to board level, mm. like, if they are then investing in themselves, going and learning about all of these things now, going and doing these courses, going and actually out there and try and read up on it, that will take you a long way. So I think there's a, a kind of the push should be for everyone to then go, right, well, there's an opportunity here, not just because it's a, obviously a very good thing to be doing. Did you get my kind of yeah. take? So I was just linking it back to this point. One of the things that we're doing in this is a competition, like, what does your future job role look like? Because we're talking about right now, the skills gap, what we need, what's it going to be like in 10, 20 years? So it's actually interesting to see what they think, because they're going to bring different sets of skills that we'll be relying on them to help us meet net zero in the future. So, so, so if I go in, in the middle to the secondary school bit, as we've been higher and primary, um, I mean, I think... Um, we need to get in, in and speak to the teachers. Um, I don't know if anyone's had the pleasure of seeing the GCSE geography syllabus lately, um, but it needs some updating. Yeah. Um, and I think that actually um, what um, at GPE we're working with, we're doing an inclusive leadership programme, um, which involves us partnering with um, ethnically and socially um, diverse young people. Um, and what's really interesting is that they're all, they've all applied to be part of the scheme, which is um, within a, the real estate sector, but actually the number of them who've been told by their schools that they should be heading for Russell Group Universities, that they should be focusing on the legal profession, the financial profession, because, and teachers just don't have the ability to actually, because they, they, they're just not, they don't have the knowledge, they don't have the exposure to it, to actually sell this industry. And we desperately need those young people coming in, because actually when they're coming into our business and talking to our executive committee, they are so talented, and the real estate industry really does need them. I'm going to have a word with my kids as soon as I get home. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Okay, well, um, listen, thank you all for, for joining us for this discussion and for sharing your thoughts. I hope you'll all show your appreciation to, um, to our final panel as well. Thanks.